further ado, it's time for History Matters. We are joined in the studio by the one, the only, Scott Washington, historian <laughs> extraordinaire, to catch us up on This Week in History. Good well, morning. Well, thank you, Aaron. It is a delight to be here. And um, when I was hearing that theme music, I was thinking about this is the week when Alistair Cook uh, was born back in 1908, who becomes the host of, of Masterpiece, Masterpiece Theater, Theater fame. Yeah, that theme music that we like to play, and I always feel like you know, the, the fun world thing is, is like I don't, I like I've never really watched Masterpiece Theater growing up. So when I play that music, I don't think of Masterpiece <laughs> Theater. I think of History Matters, which is a much more enduring show. <laughs> I think show. that is yes, that's right. Yes. Yes. You start salivating like oh right, exactly. What, what things of it. I'm still on a high from last week when we were talking uh, about 1800 and the election of 1800 and. And your wonderful insights. Uh, Was that only last week? And I, I know, it's like, like yeah. yesterday. That's right. Well, there are some good things this week, as always. And I think, is there anything happening um, that are uh, symbolic of uh, courage, creativity, and commitment? And, uh, and the answer is no. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. Okay, now this is courageous. All right, it's 1960. Uh, Brown versus Board of Education has already been decided, and yet uh, down in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, a family decides they would send their child to school. Um, Ruby Bridges, six-year-old, and there is outrage from white parents who just, they protest. She goes to school, about the only kid in the school, and um, there is a a great teacher that from Boston that uh, teaches her the whole year, and then by the next year, other parents are saying, we're tired of homeschooling our kids. <laughs> this is not so bad. It's not so hard. But a lot of that is made possible because of what happens, of course, in 1954, Brown versus Board of Education. And that brings up one of the people who has a birthday this week who is instrumental in an indirect way in helping provide information on that is Polly Murray. Yeah. Now, that's one uh, name that we're familiar with in this area. Uh, but they're we, building an elementary school in Durham that's going to be right? named after. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful! I love right it. Right around the corner from my house. That's yeah. right. Well, and you can see that her house uh, is still standing there um, in Durham, and um, she goes on, uh, gets a degree in literature, and uh, she's a good poet. And that's she might have had a claim that way, but she hears about civil rights uh, injustices, uh, applies to that, and realizes she needs to go into the law. As she does, she actually builds the casework that Thurgood Marshall, Supreme Court Justice, calls instrumental in helping the Supreme Court come to the decision of Brown versus education, overturning uh, this uh, almost uh, half a century long uh, segregation. So one thing that you you mentioned that kind of sparked my interest, uh, 1960 was yeah. when Ruby Bridges starts to attend the, the right. previously segregated school in New Orleans. She was six right. when she started six. attending. And while you were talking, I looked it up. Uh, Ruby Bridges was born on September 8th of 1954. Brown versus uh, Board of Education was May of 1954. Wow. So you think about how long yes. it took That's right. for integration to actually happen happen in the South. Ruby Bridges, who's famous for integrating the school in New Orleans, was actually born after Brown v. Board of Education, and it was still six years later that she becomes the first student to attend this one school in this one state. Like, the resistance to Brown v. Board of Education was ridiculous and intense for a very long time. And kudos to her teacher and kudos to uh, her parents, but also kudos to little six-year-old Ruby Bridges, uh, who had to go off to school every day and the school's empty, and yet she's learning because she wants to learn and she's excited. So 
hats off to parents out there, especially during the last several years, but also our teachers who have made such a difference and our students who are eager to learn. Okay, that's about uh, a little bit about uh, courage and commitment when I think of uh, uh, Polly Murray and she goes on and actually becomes an Episcopal priest <laughs> later on in life. So she sees these principles as something bigger that drives her, and I think that's kind of a an important thing to remember and celebrate in this area. Uh, there's a, another uh, thing, and this is what I call creativity, and there are some delightful ones uh, this week. If you've ever been in a grocery store and used a grocery cart, if you have ever been in an airport and used a luggage cart, uh, you can uh, thank a guy uh, named Sylvan Nathan Goldman, born in 1898, who invented the shopping cart, <laughs> realized he had a series of shopping uh, grocery stores and that people would only buy as much as they could carry in the mm -hmm. bags they brought. And he said, wait a minute, let's do something. <laughs> and so he got a lawn chair. <laughs> this was not invented. Put a basket in it. And people just said no. And he kept toying with it. And they said, no, it looks like a baby carriage. He had to get models to show how it worked before right, it started right. catching on. And he's also the guy who's credited with uh, the luggage cart, who realized, hey, the same thing applies <laughs> in airports. Wouldn't it be great if you could buy too much and carry too much around with you wherever you go? <laughs> I've got the and solution to both of those problems all at once. <laughs> Come on down. Okay, well, here's another one we all use, which is a computer mouse. Um, and uh, 19 it's hard to believe, it was only 1970, that the mouse patent was issued to a fellow called Douglas Engelbart uh, for... Um, this first computer mouse, and it really didn't catch on. Yeah. Actually, uh, the company he was working for, they said, we don't know. They, they well, it's not intuitive. <laughs> like, we, we're so used to the mouse. We it's just like now. this ubiquitous thing, That's but, right. like, it's a weird design. Like, the idea <laughs> of, like, having a thing that you can remotely, like, move a cursor around on a computer screen. Like, this none is, of that is just no. obvious. You have to come up with That's that. That's right. Apple yeah. was the first one that, that realized that this was some, but they only paid a, a pittance uh, for the, the licensing of it. And of course, now it's uh, ubiquitous, uh, but we can thank Douglas Engelbart. But you know, the neat thing was is that, again, another course of life where it might have gone differently. He grows up, goes to war, comes out of it, just wants the job and, uh, you know, uh, family. And then he realizes, wait a minute, I think I have some different values. And this is the cool thing. He decided on four principles. One, he would focus on making the world a better place. Now, this is fascinating. This is like 1950. Any serious effort... <laughs> Way before anyone thought of making the world a better place. <laughs> okay, well, maybe that's an overstatement. <laughs> yes, I'm sure anybody in any century would say, yes, this will make the world a better place. Any serious effort to do that uh, would require some kind of organized effort uh, leveraging uh, the power of lots of people you know, problem solving. Yep. And uh, if you could do that, you could boost that across the planet. And even then, he was saying computers might be the way. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So, you know, kudos to somebody who, those are good uh, the sort of things that we're using today, all values that are, I think, worthy of, uh, of being celebrated. Now the people who run social media could apply those same <laughs> values to yes, what they're doing. Thank you very much. Yeah. That would be really nice. And then the last one is a fellow named Marvin Pipkin. Uh, now, this is not a name we all know. He was born in 1889, November 18th, uh, and he was hired for General Electric, and as a kind of like a hazing ritual they would have for new employees, they gave him an impossible task. 
to frost the inside of a light bulb. Now they knew this was impossible. Nobody has done it. <laughs> well, they didn't tell him that. And so he applied and thought, well, what could I do? And kept approaching the problem. And sure enough, he becomes the fellow who comes up <laughs> with a frosted uh, light bulb from the inside that nobody had been able to figure out simply because he didn't have the word impossible in his dictionary. And the, this is, I think, something that's true of all these people from six-year-old Ruby Bridges to Nathan Goldman uh, uh, to uh, uh, Polly Murray uh, to Douglas Engelbart, which is the words no impossible and can't are not in the dictionary. So if you are one of those people or you're thinking about what if, you never know where it might lead and make the world a better place. And that is how history matters. Scott Washington, as always, thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs>